How are we all today? Good, good. That's good. That's good. Um, for those who might think I'm bringing a Father's Day message, I'm not, so don't get... Um, sorry, fathers. But I'm, I'm very thankful that I have a great dad um, up the front. <laughs> yeah. No, but... Um, no, nah, it's... I, he hates being credited up the front, but... <laughs> he loves it, apparently. But um, I'm very thankful for someone who didn't get exampled what a father was, and I think a lot of people can relate to that. Um, we all as kids are pretty thankful for the fathering you've done. Uh, and, and it's, yeah, it's, it's amazing, and, and we're really thankful. So um, say something nice to your dads today if you can, and um, yeah. <laughs> Look, I'm, I'll get into it. We've had a um, we've had a fun year. I'm, I'm of course I'm the youth coordinator at this church. If you don't know me, my name is Benito, um, and we've had a fun year at youth. We've um, had a lot of chaos. There's a lot of youth coming along, and it's and 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 not heaps of leaders. So if you ever want to help out, let me know. Um, but uh, it's it's been it's been really good. And um, amongst everything that's been happening, we've tried to focus on creating a full picture of what faith in Christ looks like. Um, it's easy to say, hey, God loves you. He has a purpose for you. He heals, he helps, he wants the best for everyone. And all these things are true, but in our desperation to make God as available as possible, sometimes we limit our role and responsibility to pursue relationship with him. And that's what I'm going to f- focus on today. Um, because the thing is, um, faith is a challenge. Though the gates are open to all, only a few find it, and those that do will find themselves navigating a tricky and difficult path. Um, this might not be the most comfortable message, by the way, but um, we'll, get, we'll dig into it and I'll pray in a second. But let's look at the metaphor of a tricky, difficult path spoken by Jesus at the Sermon of the Mount. And there's a PowerPoint, and I don't like clickers, but I'll try my best. Um, you might just have to click on it because it's not up there just yet. Oh, no, there's no one there. <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. I, I like that Paul just didn't even try. <laughs> not his job. Not his job. <laughs> Thanks, Em. Um, so Matthew seven thirteen to fourteen says, "Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction, and there are many who take it. For the gate is narrow." And the road is hard that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for this awesome church community that we have, Lord. I just, I pray that, yeah, you, in today, a special day for a lot of people and a hard day for others, God, that you just, your presence is felt throughout, Lord, that that you just show yourself in, like you have in the worship, and and, uh, it's, we just feel your presence, Lord. I pray that you go before me, you, um, that my words are yours, Lord, and um, that, yeah, you just make this something to remember for everyone who needs it, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So again and again in Jesus' teaching, he points out that we have two options, to follow God and commit to walking life's journey in obedience to him or to not. Um, it's... It's kind of a two-choice thing. It's, Jesus does it a lot in the New Testament as you read it uh, in the Gospels. And in the context of the other teachings, 
of Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount. Of course, Matthew, I think five, six, and seven is all these different teachings of Jesus up on a mountain teaching to these to his followers, and everyone's astonished by his wisdom. But um, in the context of all those teachings, he is speaking of the timeless tug of war taking place in our mind between the world's ways and Jesus's better way. We see it in the Beatitudes: "Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth." Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the, um, there's a few others. I'll be paraphrasing. <laughs> um, we also see it in Matthew 6:24. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You, can't, you cannot serve God and wealth. And then Matthew 6:33. a verse we've been focusing on at youth. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will, will be given to you as well. All these things will be given to you. So seek first the kingdom, not the world. Seek first the kingdom. There's this um, two-way thing going on here. Rightly or wrongly, in this world, a lot of things are more complex than a black and white choice these days. Um, but one thing that isn't is putting our faith in God. He gives us a choice. Which gate will we choose? And I'll spend today looking at a couple of the options, the two options that we have. Um, and option one is the wide gate and broad path. Now, based from this verse, picture the wide gate. Maybe close your eyes. I don't know what you, you want to imagine, but just picture what this wide gate looks like to you in, in image. What, is it, what does it seem like? Perhaps it's plastered with billboards. Um, I, can, it, I reckon it would look pretty trendy. I reckon it would look quite up-to-date, um, quite enticing. I can see Amazon emblazoned across it. <laughs> Um, it's probably, probably designed by Elon Musk or something like that. Um, but it, it's, a, it's an enticing gate. It's a, it's a gate that is um, essentially, the wide gate is a gate that has all the things not of God that are genuinely enticing in this life. All those disordered desires and deceptive ideas that have been normalized in this sinful society. Um, and it's a difficult gate to identify sometimes. It's, it's quite attractive. And popular theologian William Hendrickson calls this the gate of self-indulgence, a gate wide enough that we can bring along all our fleshly desires without any hassle. It's the gate we take when we put what God asks of us in the too hard basket and decide our own path is better. It is the gate of convenience. It is natural to pivot towards what is easy to access and enter to follow what is modelled to us by our friends and, and everyone on social media that looks like they have it figured out. Um, and in the short term, these may seem like shortcuts to happiness. Care about yourself and no one else and you'll be happy. Do that thing that feels good. It won't hurt anyone. Or get in line and stick to the norms. you avoid insult and judgment. To me, personally, they lack the key ingredient to happiness, which is love. But um, in general, following the norms and the half-truths that the world teaches us is the easier choice to make, the safe path, path to walk. But as Jesus clearly says, this leads to destruction. Thankfully, he has a better way, even though it confronts the very way we live. And this is option two. Option one, option two. The, the, option two is the narrow gate and the hard path. What does the narrow gate look like to you? Um, I see a gate that probably isn't over the top, maybe a bit unassuming at first glance, a lot smaller. Um, 
the closer you draw to it, perhaps you realise it's quite a like it's still a beautiful gate because of course it's 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 God's God's way, but it's not something you notice on first glance, not as appealing perhaps as as the wide gate. Um, Hendrickson, same theologian, calls it the gate of self-denial, of obedience. Those are not the words I would choose to get people signing up to Christianity. Um, you're subbing out self-indulgence and convenience for self-denial and obedience. Um, Jesus' teaching, as we see here, is frightening to hear because Jesus is warning us of the challenges ahead. We don't want to hear that. We want to hear that God meets us where we're at, that he'll always be there no matter what. And while this is true, I'm not saying that is wrong. This is absolutely true. God's everlasting presence coexists with the truth that following Christ is really hard. Entering Jesus' kingdom is both inviting and difficult. It is both accessible and challenging. It both brings freedom and requires sacrifice. Both and. And the scripture makes it clear the road is hard that leads to life. Jesus' words, not mine. So, in sticking with scripture, if we follow this hard road, we are eternally blessed, we are comforted, we shall inherit the earth and be full of peace, joy, and wholeness, right? But likewise, if we follow this hard road, we will be persecuted, insulted, and burdened with heavy obligations to love our enemies, to turn the other cheek, to forgive others, to bless others, and live selflessly and with humility. You can understand why this is a difficult choice to make. Um, I'm so bad at turning pages, I'm just going to focus on it. (laughs) We end up weighing up what's more important. And though the hard road promises infinitely more long-lasting happiness, God's way promises much more than the wide road. Much of what God promises us is not immediately evident. For sure, the Holy Spirit is with us as soon as we believe and speak out that Jesus is Lord. But for as long as the world remains in this broken state, we aren't going to be living in a full expression of the kingdom. We have so many matters to attend to in this broken world. Things that draw us in with the instant gratification that they offer and the deceptive importance they claim to have. I think sometimes we allow ourselves to get so distracted that we never make the choice. This is, to me, the dangerous third option and it's all too familiar for many. Sadly, I think we forget to be concerned about the life that Jesus offers when everything else gets in the way. We've missed the forest for the trees. We forget about the bigger picture. And it's not really a third option. It's just the first option tastefully disguised. Realistically, one who chooses not to choose is essentially choosing to walk the broad path, whether they realise it or not. Um, One of the most successful lies of the devil is to make us believe that the day-to-day, the superficial things are more important than matters of the heart, matters that concern our entire being. We prioritise picking a nice outfit over time with God to get our heart in order each morning. Our relationship with God takes a backseat to our jobs, sport, social media, how we look or whatever else clamours for our attention. Again, on the Sermon of the Mount, Matthew 6, 25, says... It's a, it's a classic. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food 
and the body more than clothing. I'm not saying to throw all these things away and become a monk, unless that's your calling. I'm saying that God is most concerned with the state of our hearts, because getting that right is the key to life, eternal life. And uh, in today's Greek of the Week, um, we're gonna, I'll, I'll flick to it in a sec. I had someone tell me a few weeks ago, I have to share it. Um, I was at a youth event and um, we're talking about, the, like he was learning about Greek and Hebrew. And he told me, when, when you're preaching, Greek is like underwear. <laughs> I, I was like, okay. And he's like, although it's good to undergird the sermon, uh, perhaps it shouldn't be shown. <laughs> Um, it's important to get the research done, but maybe don't tell it to everyone once you've figured it out. And I, I think it's completely wrong. Um, so in today's Greek of the Week, um, <laughs> the word we're looking at is life. That word in Matthew 7.14, for the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life. And there are few that find it. Uh, life in the Greek is zoe. Uh, everyone say zoe. zoe. Nice job. Um, Defined by Blue Letter Bible, which is a great resource, if you ever need to look at the deeper meaning of Bible verses, uh, it's got a lot of tools on there. Uh, It's defined as life real and genuine, a life active and vigorous, devoted to God, blessed, the portion, even in this world, of those who put their trust in Christ, but after the resurrection to be consummated by new accessions, among them a more perfect body, and to last forever. Now, I'll say it again in a perhaps a more simple way. Um, life, real and genuine. A life active and vigorous, devoted to God, blessed, even in this world, for those who put their trust in Christ, but also after death and forever. Like, far out. That's on the horizon for Christians who enter the narrow gate and stick with it. When the way of sinners has been exchanged with the way of the righteous and one has made a conscious choice to follow God and enter the narrow gate, the way of the hard road is one of continuously choosing Jesus' way of righteousness, of daily conversion, of sanctification, whatever you want to call it. I talked about this when I last spoke of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Uh, In John 13.10 it said, Um, of course, in the story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And when Jesus says this, to bathe suggests a spiritual cleansing of the whole body, the moment we are saved and promised life. To wash one's feet symbolizes the ongoing shaping and cleansing of parts of our being that takes place in an active relationship with Christ. In other words, our gradual journey of growing in righteousness as we travel the hard road. Importantly, we don't walk this journey alone. And uh, I think worship was wonderful today in, in talking about this. Um, God's presence is always with us. This is not a journey we take alone. If it was, I think even the best of us would have thrown in the towel by now. As in important as it is having a congregation, your community of sisters and brothers in Christ walking the road with you. The Holy Spirit is God with us and we can rely on him to guide us and be at work in us. Jesus says this in, in John 14, 15 to 17 and I, I love the way Eugene Peterson paraphrases it so I'll read it in the message version. 
Um, and I'll read verse 25 to 27 as well. If you love me, show, me by, show it by doing what I've told you. I will talk to the Father and he'll provide you another friend so that you always have someone with you. This friend is the spirit of truth. The godless world can't take him in because it doesn't have eyes to see him. It doesn't know what to look for. But you know him already because he has been staying with you and will even be in you. There's an exclamation mark there. Um, it's important. Verse 25, 27. I'm telling you these things while I'm still living with you. The friend, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send at my request, will make everything plain to you. He will remind you of all the things I have told you. I'm leaving you well and whole. This is my parting gift to you, peace. I don't leave you the way you're used to being left, feeling abandoned, bereft. So don't be upset. Don't be distraught. That's the wrong page. We have not been abandoned, but we have been promised a helper that dwells in us. We can know that this is the case when we follow the right way. In fact, Jesus, using the same Greek word for way, um, it's the same word for path and road, so all this, um, specifically says he is, he is the way, the truth, and the life earlier in the same chapter. In that, that same chapter, John 14, the famous verse, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If anyone wants to know the Father, they can know it through me. Um, it's, this, it's the same road, it's the same path. You'll never walk alone. God is the same today as he was 2,000 years ago and 2,000 years uh, before that too. He journeys with us, whether on the road to Emmaus, where Jesus appeared to a couple of his followers and, and walked with them as they meandered along the path, or in the parable of the Good Samaritan, where a man left half dead was nursed to health by a historical enemy in an example of how we should act towards others in love, the first fruit of the Spirit. To finish, I want to touch on another journeying story, the Exodus. Does everyone know the story? We watched Prince of Egypt at youth at the start of this term, and it's a classic. Um, really enjoyed it. I, I mean, it's, if, yeah, it's from 2000, I think, but it holds up. and it, It's got a great, great musical score. Uh, animation is still good. Um, and, it, and it talks about a story of the Bible. It adds a bit, but um, some of the bits are really close to like, what is said in the Bible, which is like the bit where Moses is, is crossing the Red Sea. But, yeah, anyway, um, <laughs> I think I gave it like three and a half stars. Uh, <laughs> seven out of ten, yeah. It's, um, anyway, we pick up where Pharaoh finally lets the Israelites go. They journey through the wilderness towards the Red Sea. Of course, the ten plagues had happened. It had decimated the Egyptians. They were a mess. Pharaoh finally let the Israelites go. And the Israelites heading towards the wilderness. They've set up camp at the Red Sea. And uh, Exodus 13, 21 to 22 says this. Um, the Lord went in front of them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them along the way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light so that they might travel by day and by night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. I love that last bit. Uh, never left. Never went away. 
perhaps one of the most daunting times for the Israelites in, in their history leaving Egypt. Um, God's spirit never left its people. Um, and what happens after this is God actually speaks to Moses and he says, look, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. He's going to see you guys chilling at the Red Sea and he's going to basically come and get you. Um, he's he's going to change his mind. He's going to see that you got, the Israelites aren't really doing anything. They're still on his land. They're going to recapture you. Uh, but trust me and I'm going to sort it out. Um, and of course this happens. And we pick it up in Exodus 14, 10 to 14, when Pharaoh did catch them. Um, I'll read it now. As Pharaoh drew near, the Israelites looked back, and there were the Egyptians advancing on them. In great fear, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the very thing we told you in Egypt? Let us alone so we can serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you only have to keep still. In other translations, it says, be still. And boy, the Holy Spirit fights. After this scripture, I won't read the whole story. Feel free to read it. It's still one of the most amazing stories uh, in the Bible and, and such a massive moment. But after this scripture, in the story alone, God parts the Red Sea, protects the Israelites from attack with a pillar of fire and cloud, uses that pillar of fire and cloud to throw the Egyptians into madness and clog their wheels, and destroys them in the Red Sea and saves the Israelites from overwhelming defeat. And the Holy Spirit, and the Israelites just had to be still. Let the Holy Spirit do the fighting. We just need to keep still and follow and obey the Spirit. Dad used the Philip Yancey paraphrase of Psalm 46.10 last week. Be still and know that I am God, for, for those who know the verse. Um, and the paraphrase was, take a holiday from being God of your life and let God be God. Like Dad said, being still is not a passive response, but rather a proactive decision and an eager desire to stop and wait upon the Lord. To meditate on His words, His truth, and trust that by His strength we can travel the narrow and hard road fearlessly. Let's respond today. And I'll get Emma up on the keys. Uh, feel free to bow your heads and, um, and close your eyes just as I finish. But just remember, for those struggling, first of all, with choosing the narrow gate, perhaps you haven't made that choice or you have put it off or in your heart you kind of know that it's just not the priority at the moment and it kind of feels like the narrow gate is far away. Just remember, God will always love us, no matter what. But to live in that love, we're called to take up the challenge of faith and, and journey the narrow road. He'll be there in every moment. That's His promise. Don't distract yourself by the things of this world any longer. It's time to make that choice. And for those that are in this place that feel like that now, 
I trust that you take this moment to talk to God, to accept the challenge of faith and to enter through the narrow gate. It's not a walk in the park, but you have a walking partner that will help you travel far beyond what you could have before. Don't let yourself be enslaved to Egypt any longer, enslaved to the world, but let yourself be free in Christ. And for those burdened by the difficulty of the hard road, let go. Don't take responsibility for the things that are out of your control. Let God fight for you. Be still, be calm, trust in Him. God goes before you and cares immeasurably. What does this look like to be still? A pastor called Ian Simpkins puts it nicely in this way. There are two types of tea drinkers. Dippers and abiders, those who have impatiently dipped the tea in the hot water again and again and again, and those who immerse the tea and let it sit as it infuses every drop of the water. Abide in Him. Desire to stop doing and just let God be the God in your life. Some people here today are a bit like the Israelites, tempted even by slavery when confronted with the difficulties ahead. Egypt is easier than what is, it, what is facing us. That's what it feels like. It feels like whatever God is taking you towards looks like the most daunting mountain and you're at the bottom of the valley. And it just doesn't look possible. It would be easier to turn back and go to the life that you were, you were in before. I know I felt like that many times but Matthew 6 31-33 says uh, do not worry saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things and indeed your heavenly father knows that you need all these things but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well Let's pray. God, I just pray that in our hearts today, you, we, we recognize the need for you first and, and foremost in our lives. That faith isn't easy and it's probably easier to just ignore it for as long as possible. But God, you, you're so much more than that. You're, you want the best for us. You love us. And you're there walking alongside us. Your presence is with us as we accept you into our hearts. So I pray that for those who need to do that, that they accept God into their hearts. That you live in them, you guide them, you walk by them. They feel safe in your house. God, your, your house is in them. Lord, I just pray for those people. And God, for everyone else who is challenged with the burdens of life God heavy laden, sore, weak at the end of their rope I don't know what it looks like Lord 
but I just pray that they see you walking in front, they, that they can be still, that they can let go and let go of control, let go of trying to be responsible for everything in their lives and trying to be able to handle everything in their life, God, because we can't. We can't hold all these things. They're for you to hold, God. We need to trust you. We need to walk behind you as you walk in front of us as a cloud of fire, a cloud of a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud, Lord. I just, whatever it looks like, God, your presence is there. And your friend, uh, our friend, the Holy Spirit, is walking with us, God, closer than a brother. He is our friend, Lord. Encourage us today.